Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am from sunny Singapore. Have you been here? Yeah, I used to go there about four or five, six times a year in my global role and actually looked at moving to Singapore at one stage. A wonderful place, great people. And yeah, if you haven't been there, listeners, I highly recommend going to Singapore. It's a wonderful place. Yeah, and the people there are beautiful and the food and the shopping is just great. So it's a great hub for there for around Asia Pacific. Definitely. Now, uh, Vivek, I've already given an introduction to the audience a little bit about you, but is there anything else you want to share with you, uh, with us, about your background? Sure. So I am a millennial specialist and a speaker. What I do is I talk to organizations about how they can recruit, reward, and retain the younger generation in the workplace. I believe that leadership is changing, and the way we lead with the younger generation has to also change in order to really keep them longer, not keep them forever, but keep them longer than we are keeping them uh, today. And that is only possible if we let go of leadership that's rooted in the past and embrace newer ways of leading. So what I do with organizations, I speak to engage with the employees. I do some consultation work with them around how they can come up with new strategies to really uh, boost that employee engagement across all generations, including the younger generations as well. Fascinating. And I think you've written two books, and I'm going to get to those in a minute. But you just said something there before about keeping them longer, but maybe not for forever, because I agree, I don't <laughs> think they stay there for much longer. But what are one or two things you think leaders should be thinking about when they're hiring millennials, when they're bringing millennials on board? How do they actually retain them? Yeah, so leaders should be really thinking about how can I serve them as a leader, right? I think that is one of the key things that, Maybe was not the key um, definition of leadership back then. It used to be a very command and control. How do I command and control uh, my team members to get things done, right? And leadership, essentially, it's about how do you move people to get things done effectively, right? Without uh, having to uh, really be the one doing it yourself, you get people to do it for, itself, for you. And that's where I believe that if you want to really get millennials moving as fast as possible to the highest potential, then you've got to start asking, what can I be doing differently with this group so that they feel motivated and inspired to go above and beyond? The problem I notice or the challenge is that a lot of leaders cannot connect with the mindsets that the younger generation have, the behaviors that they display. And it, it kind of uh, also is a confirmation bias of the stereotype that we do see in the media 
the media, of course, paints a very extreme picture. Either they are very good or they're very bad, right? And uh, you will fall into either camps based on your personal experiences. But I think it is the role of the leader to be the first to adapt. They want to see the change. And that's where I talk about all of these things, you know, to organizations. It's the leader's responsibility to effect change. So they have to be the ones to change themselves first. And that's why leadership is changing. It's uh, such a key theme, I think, for all leaders today. Okay, so leaders need to change first and adapt to be able to connect with the mindset of the actual millennial. So how do they connect? What, what can they do to connect with the mindset of a millennial? Well, the first thing is to have this mindset of experimentation because the young people, they come in with a lot of energy. They come in with a lot of ideas. They come in with uh, new ways of doing things. They love innovation. They love to try different things. And the moment someone says, hey, maybe, you know, let's keep that idea aside or instead of saying like, you know, I don't think you've really thought this through, right? Having open experimental mindset to say, hey, I'm actually open to exploring that. Let's try it out. Let's see what we can get out of it. It may fail, but at least it, they don't get knocked down. They don't feel like their voices are not listened to, right? The young people, they feel like when they have a leader who's listening to them, uh, they want to contribute more. But what we are seeing today is a lot of leaders don't want to take up the risk of failure and we are not embracing failure as a part of success. So what we do is, okay, um, maybe you stay here for a few years before you tell me how to do my job, right? So that's the kind of uh, feedback that they get. And then what then happens is they stop contributing. They go into what we call quiet quitting. Okay, you're not going to take in my ideas. I'm just going to do what's basic and what's necessary. And I'm still going to get paid anyway. There's no point for me to go over, above, and beyond because uh, my leader isn't listening to me and I don't feel heard and I don't feel like contributing. So we actually need leaders to really have that open mindset to listen and have that dialogue. And instead of just saying no, maybe even explain why. And that way, at least, they can build a relationship. The original way of don't do it cancel, no go. It doesn't build a relationship. It, in fact, makes them question, why didn't my leader hear me out? Why wasn't my ideas taken into consideration? Why do I need to wait five years to contribute an idea, right? So all of these things are, I believe, uh, a lack of experimental mindset. Yeah, I think they're by saying all those kind of no's, it's just like they're putting roadblocks up in front of them. And then if they don't like the roadblocks, they want to go off and do something else, uh, for sure. And I love what you just shared there about embrace failure as part of the success or part of success. I think that is, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that's so important. So, so, so important for the millennial, for them, for them working for a boss or a leader, but also for the leader to understand that as well and that we learn from mistakes. And I think that's important. And I see that you've written two books. One's called Engaging Millennials, Seven Fundamentals to Recruit, Reward and Retain the Largest Generation in the Workforce. I think that is so important. The second one is Empowering, empowering Millennials, the five-step sequence to design a life of fun, freedom, and fortune. I see what you've done there. You've done the R's in the first book, and you've done the F's in the second book. I see what you've done there. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I like what you say there about the recruit, reward, and retain that multi-generational workforce, because I think it's really important. That's One is to attract them, but then it's also to retain, as we're saying, which is really important. 
And the other one piece you said is about the reward. What, what do we mean by the reward? Well, you see, uh, the kind of rewards, the benefits we see in organizations are, see, have always been a one-size-fits-all, right? You get your insurance, you get your dental, right? You get your very basic stuff. But do you know that there are so many organizations, especially these startups, that are offering a lot more benefits that are very appealing to the younger generation because they have more options. So instead of a one-size-fits-all, because these benefits, I think they became a lot more popular as the baby boomers entered the workforce. Right? I'm gonna, on top of its salary, I'm also going to give you this and this. But we never really innovated on in that space. So how can we do that? How can we give more benefits that are varied? So a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old won't be so interested in insurance as opposed to someone who's probably closer to retirement in their 50s, late 50s, right? And 60s. But we don't offer something for the 20-year-old. So in Alibaba, actually, they have this benefit of, you know, if you're single, we actually do matchmaking for all the singles within the organization. It is one way to keep our family stronger together. So the committee, of course, gets these names of the singles, put them up on a board, and they do some matching. And if they actually marry, that's also been rumored that Jack Ma has also attended some of these weddings before because it is one of those things in their culture, right? And that's very relevant for someone who's single in their 20s, 30s, or maybe even their 40s, right? But that is something unique. We have other organizations that bring in health coaches into the workplace where they say, you know, you guys are sitting on the computer all day long. So we're going to change that up a bit. And we, what we're going to do is we're going to make sure you attend these exercise sessions. That's, you know, super easy. They come to the office, you do a, you have a workout, you get a shower, and then you get back to work, right? It's not always an eight to five, sit down and work productively, right? It is actually very different. We even had some startup CEOs give up a challenge for people to say that if you actually hit certain health goals, you get an extra salary, unlimited leave, right? So many different ways to engage with the younger generation by offering different benefits that will really excite and bring out the best in them. Wow, that is so cool. Wished I had that when I was a graduate and a young guy. You know, first of all, I think it's helping remove a lot of the barriers, a lot of the objections or the excuses, right? So one is the matchmaking is one thing, but also bringing in the health coaches, getting them to exercise. It's getting rid of those excuses, oh, I'm too busy, I've got a deadline, and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, it's really good to see. All righty, that's very good. Vivek, next question for you here is, how did you get into leadership? Well, my my whole entrance into leadership happened when I was 18 years old. I was enrolled into the National Service in Singapore. We have to serve two years uh, in the Army. And I went through the basic military training. And that's where I discovered that I would really enjoy working with more people and leading them. And, you know, they gave us these missions. So that started my leadership streak. I got uh, selected into the leadership school from there on. And then I was posted back into the basic military training school as an instructor, right? So that actually started my journey. And from there, I started realizing the important role of leaders. How do you motivate them? How do you engage with them? How do you make them feel listened to? And also, that was when I actually found the kind of leader that I also aspire to be. Great. Whereabouts are you in the world today? So I am in Huntsville, Alabama, which is about 30 minutes south of the Tennessee border, home to the Space and Rocket Center and lots of other, you know, space and rocket aerospace development here and also home to Redstone Arsenal, which is a big branch of the U.S. Army. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. So do you see a whole lot of rockets flying past you? 
<laughs> not flying past us, but definitely on display. Yeah, so we're doing a lot of really neat innovation within the aerospace and space and missile defense arena here. So it's a very exciting place to live. It's absolutely beautiful as well. So, yeah. Oh, awesome. And I, the listeners won't be able to see it, but I can see behind you, you've got a beautiful sign there that says, focus on the good. Yes. And I think that's a beautiful sort of <laughs> statement to sort of start on here as well. Now, Megan, I've given the, the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you. You're the founder and CEO of marketing and public relations firm called Flourish. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Yeah, so my background is I actually studied hospitality management at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I loved that industry. And so I sort of fell into that and fell into marketing. Honestly, I started off working for a small engineering company doing sales and customer service, but ultimately it became a marketing role. And I didn't realize that at the time. I've never taken a marketing course in my life, so I'm a little bit of a self-taught marketing professional, but I ran a nonprofit for a couple of years here in North Alabama. After that, I worked for a large ad agency out of New York called McCann Erickson. They're part of the Interpublic group of companies, and they held the contract for the U.S. Army account for about nine and a half years. So I served on the U.S. Army account for about five and a half of that time, five and a half years out of that time and supported their mission with recruitment efforts along the eastern seaboard. And then I worked for a small tech software company here as their director of digital marketing for a couple of years before I was part of the third layoff that they had in the three years that I was there. So I was laid off of my job and sort of figuring out what I wanted to do. And it was at that time that my, my oldest daughter at the time said, mom, why don't you just start your own business and do your own thing? And it was a little bit of a dare, but I'm a very competitive person. So I was like, you know what? It challenge accepted. And that was in 2018. So we started Flourish in 2018. And now, you know, we've grown like crazy and have pretty much doubled in size year over year, if not more than that. And it's just been a phenomenal journey uh, as an entrepreneur. Never really set out to own a company or start a business. It just sort of happened, which I think is the best way, if I'm being honest, because it's really taught me so many amazing things, not only about myself, but just about the industry as a whole. And so, yeah, so we've been around for a couple of years and, you know, just absolutely love what we do. Well, and, and I'm sure some of my listeners are people who are in the corporate world or working somewhere and are being made redundant or possibly there could be some change coming on. What, what was the transition like for you to go from being in that corporate world Possibly salaries, you know, not possibly, but salary happening every sort of month mm -hmm. and money going into your account. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> making that decision to go and start your own business. What was the transition like for you? It was extremely scary and wanted, you know, maybe want to throw up on a daily basis, if I'm being completely honest with you. <laughs> Again, I never had the intent of going down this path. And I think it's so funny, you know, now I mentor high school students who take entrepreneur classes, um, which is really neat. And I've never taken a class on entrepreneurship, never taken a class on any of that. And so definitely a self-taught business owner. But the challenge was one that, to be completely honest with you, I think that being in the corporate world, climbing that ladder for as long as I did, I was very successful in my career, loved my career. But it wasn't until I was laid off and sort of forced to figure out a different path that I was truly energized the way that I am today. I almost feel like I went through a complete transformation at the age of 35. And I'm so thankful that I did because I think I got a little bit complacent in the roles that I was in and got a little bit too comfortable 
with some of those, the, the progression paths on professional development that were just looking back, I think a little bit too easy and too achievable. And going down this path of, of starting my own business really uh, without having the knowledge around how to do it, absolutely without a doubt, shook me to my core and shook me outside of my comfort zone, which has been an absolute blessing just from a development perspective, both you know personally, emotionally, spiritually. It's really allowed me to discover a side of myself that I didn't really know I, I was capable of being. And so it scared me. It was the, I've never worked harder in my entire life. You know, you definitely don't start off making any money whatsoever. And so that was a big transition going from, you know, that comfortable living style to not, but really being forced to figure out how to make ends meet. And, you know, at the time I was a single parent of two young kids when this happened. So I didn't really have somebody to fall back on that I could lean on to kind of help me along the way. I just had my kids looking at me and knowing that I was going to try this thing. And they were the biggest cheerleaders I had and still are to this day. But it was such an amazing opportunity and one that as we've progressed throughout time has just gotten better and better. And just we've been received so well by the community and have just surrounded ourselves with such amazing people. So it's been a phenomenal learning opportunity and one that I never really expected I would reach at this point in my life. Wow, what a story. Um, that's an awesome story. And thanks for sharing it because I think there's a lot of people out there who, you know, probably are complacent in their roles today, who are probably contemplating about going to do a bigger, another role out in another organization or mm-hmm. that they want to start a business. But there, there's that fear of starting or yeah. stepping over or I talk about crossing over that line to go and do what they want to go and do. And yeah, yeah to be encouraged by you know, your children, and that's great. And having there as support is, is good. But then also being doing it on your own. And then, but then you said a key thing, I think, at the end there, which is about having the right people around you. Yeah. yeah. That, that was one thing that I really noticed early on that, you know, I think being a woman, being a type A personality, you know, with a disc assessment, I'm a D. So I have a very strong personality. I like to say I'm the, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I'm the one to kind of raise my hand and say, I'll take lead, you know, just, and sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not so great, but it was one of these things where, you know, I really learned to be courageous and I quickly had to check my ego at the door and realize what I was good at versus what I wasn't good at. And I very quickly learned that I could not do everything on my own. And in order for me to be successful, I really needed to let my guard down be vulnerable, ask what one would call the stupid questions, surround myself with people again that are way better at certain things than I was. And I still do that to this day. So I think that was a big moment for me was really, you know, almost doing that. You've got two columns on a piece of paper, you know, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and and what am I really good at? And that's where, you know, 80% of my time should be spent um, in order to be the most efficient and impactful individual that I could be. But then also, again, realizing, okay, who is really great at these areas that I am weak? I don't have to tackle all of that on my own. And I think as a single parent, you just assume that you have to do that sometimes. And so that was a big realization that I think was very transformative for me to just sort of put that aside and say, it's okay for me to lean on folks who really have that skill set and this is where they're experts in. And when I did that, it just sped things up so quickly and really allowed me to eliminate a lot of the stress associated with feeling as though I had to carry all of that on my own. But then also recognizing that, hey, listen, you know, this is I think this is one of a, a strong state that one that our team has is saying, 
when a client comes to us with a very specific need, like a lot of companies that could say, sure, we can do that, no problem, because they're wanting to, to make the money. We, we turn business down and we're very honest to say, hey, this is not our area of expertise. However, we know a great resource that we can pull in who is way better at doing this thing than we are. Um, and our clients respect us and appreciate us for being having that honesty and transparency in that dialogue. And of course, it ultimately, it sets everybody up for the best successful path forward. So, yeah, no, that's great. Though I think um, what I'm hearing here, listeners, is you don't have to be everything to everybody is one no. thing. And, th- and that's not just a being an entrepreneur. That's also being, in a, you know, even if you're in a large or small, medium-sized organization, you know, in corporate world as well, you don't have to be everything to everybody. You've got to get the right people around you. But yeah, I love what you're saying about the fact that I know what my strengths are and that's what I need to focus on. I have to get other people in to carry on the other areas. Sure, you could do those other areas. There's no problem there at all. But it's about being a little bit smart to free up your time. Because, you know, there's people I've been working with, Megan, and one in particular lately just said to me, oh, but, you know, this and that. I go, well, hang on. Where's the delegation happening? Are you actually delegating? Oh, you know, it's just probably easy for me to do. And I go, yeah, but then if you delegate, you're going to free up time to do the things that you complain about that you don't have time to do. And they're like, (laughs) oh, okay. So, yeah, it's very good. And I like the other thing, too, is about ask the stupid questions. They're not stupid, but we feel stupid at times when we're asking them. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been in a meeting and you wanted to ask the question, you thought, nah, it's stupid, and then someone else two minutes later asked the question, you went, damn, I wish I had asked that question. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I always tell my kids that, you know, it's like if there's a chance, if you have a question in class, there's some of your classmates will have that same question too. So don't ever feel embarrassed about asking the question. And two, you know, I'm a big proponent, you know, especially, and I know we'll talk a little bit about leadership styles, you know, in a a bit, but, you know, a big proponent of, you know, ensuring that, you know, our team, me as an individual, anybody, you have to be equipped with the information that you need to be successful. And otherwise you cannot go into a business agreement and discussion an argument, a debate, a marriage, a relationship, anything without context. And if you don't feel as though you have the context in order to put the best foot forward, you are going to be a disservice in that particular engagement or relationship. So I'm a big proponent of of asking for context to ensure, okay, what I heard you say was, you know, we work in communications and, you know, oftentimes men will say blue, women will hear red, right? So making sure that we can really break down any of those communication barriers. And oftentimes that comes from the lack of context behind one's opinion or perspective on things. So going back to the stupid question, you know, you may say something, but I understood it a different way. So in order to ensure that I understand it the way you're trying to communicate it, I do have to ask those questions. And they're not stupid. They're questions that um, will only set us both up for a more successful engagement. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 